G'day, I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is Devotions in the Deep End. Grab a coffee, open your Bible to Luke chapter 9, and we'll get started in just a few moments. Let's read from verses 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We are shown three distinct interactions, each initially showing great promise and resolve. But the question of the passage is this. Would they be willing to deliver on their lofty promises or live up to their potential when Jesus offers his terms of followership to them? It's clear that all of these men like the idea of following Jesus. In the Greek, the idea of following is that of companionship or of people who are traveling the same way and willing to do so together. They like the stuff he's teaching. That's especially important to note in a moment. And they like the public persona of Jesus, perhaps to some even the way he's sticking it to religious and political stalwarts. But none of them appear to be aware of the real cost of this sort of life. As a result, they are all bringing a conditional understanding of discipleship to the table. Let's examine the three men now. The first one is an interesting case. Matthew's account tells us that this is in fact a teacher of the law. He has been part of the inside crowd of the religious elite, but is seemingly captured more by the teaching of Jesus than the material that he has had to work with all his life. But we could argue that he's also fueled by a bit of bravado. The difference between bravery and bravado is that one makes lofty claims and can't hold up when it's challenged. The other makes the claim and leans into the challenges when they come. In a mindset of bravado, looking from the outside in, This teacher of the law sees a degree of prestige and influence that could be had through Jesus. After all, the average Galilean wasn't exactly falling over themselves to hear him teach the law at this time. So perhaps his association with this popular Galilean might move the needle more in his favor. However, in his limited vantage point, he can't see that there would be no hotels or restaurants booked each night to make this sort of fame and influence a comfortable thing. Following Jesus would mean a somewhat uncertain sort of lifestyle for this man, and Jesus highlights that before the man takes his first step. Now for the second man. For the record, he is not being withheld from attending a funeral. That would actually be quite callous, and Jesus wasn't like that then or now. It could be that he was waiting for the day when his father did pass away, and he could walk away from it all. But it is actually more likely that his father had already passed away and there would be a year's wait between laying him in a cave and finally gathering his bones and putting those with that of his ancestors. 
This later idea certainly fits the response of Jesus when he says to let the dead bury the dead. In other words, instead of focusing on death and taking a dutiful year off before finally following, do it now and leave death to the spiritually dead. From Jesus' perspective, the agenda of the kingdom of God was far more urgent than sitting around waiting for such matters, and the call to proclaim the kingdom instead was a call to a new and amazing outlook. To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom means to declare its fullness. The gospel in its fullness is all about life, not death. The third person also appears to be grappling with his sense of duty to family, in this case a living one, not a potentially dead one like the previous person. Ancient Eastern culture, much like it is today, was built on an honour-shame society model. It was often a cause for shame when a young man would leave the family property or business to explore their own pursuits. The parable of the lost son speaks right into that, so one can imagine the pressure he felt while trying to step into a whole new faith expression without making waves. This man was actually seeking permission from Jesus to wait for his family to tell him it was okay to go and follow him. He was looking at Jesus, but couldn't help but look back at his family too. And Jesus catches that theme in his final challenge. Put your hand to the plow if you like. But if you start looking back and at everything else but Jesus, you will never plow truly and you'll be unfit for the task of followership. The Greek idea of looking back is a picture of earnest contemplation, and such affection and attention is to be directed towards Jesus and his kingdom alone. It's interesting the idea of a plow comes up here too. In the Old Testament, one such man had that call to follow while he literally had a plow in hand, and we pick that up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. In that past instance, a young man is called from his family business into the rather uncertain lifestyle that came with being a prophet. He gets to farewell his family like the guy Jesus encounters, but he doesn't seem to give his family any chance to change his mind, does he? He's already burned his tools and made his farewell meal out of his oxen. He isn't getting permission, he's informing them of the decision he's already made. Or more accurately, he's informing them of the decision that God had already made for him. It's this sort of resolve that Jesus is looking for in those that follow him too. Constantly looking both ways in your faith expression will create conflict within that has no business being there. And permission from one would inevitably come at the expense of the other. But Jesus is calling for such attention to him alone. Now, was this a universal call to sever all ties with family and sell every asset you have to live a nomadic life for Jesus? No, I do not think so. And other scriptures advise stable living and providing for and protecting your family and things like that. But there are certainly lines in the sand that one must contemplate when it comes to fully following Jesus or not. We could sum up the words of Jesus a bit like this, and I need to credit the scholar Michael Wilcock for this insight. 
If Jesus were to lead you towards work in which your income would be lower, your prospects, humanly speaking, more uncertain, and your accustomed standard of living non-existent, would you follow such leading? Or suppose Jesus were to ask you to do something for him which according to most people of your class and background is simply not done. Or suppose Jesus were to summon you to his service with such a compelling call that your nearest and dearest would have to be left without an explanation. Would you even then go his way? If it came down to choosing between two ways, which would you follow? Comfort, convention, culture, custom, or Jesus? It's a huge call, isn't it? So let's reflect on this. This passage speaks of some would-be disciples coming to Jesus, and one of those specifically involves Jesus calling a man to follow him. That one in particular intrigues me. I can't help wondering what could have been given the other times this phrase appears in the gospel narratives. And whether they come to him or he goes to them, we are told here that the terms are exactly the same. Following Jesus has a cost, and we are called to count it. Maybe your faith history has been a bit of a bump-along-the-bottom sort of thing. Maybe it's been something you've observed from afar or in a nominal sort of way. Perhaps you might call yourself more of a crowd-dweller than an intimate follower of Jesus. You are not an exclusive company there. Loads of people love the community of faith and love the teaching about the man Jesus. But not every church person, not everyone in the mere proximity of Jesus, is a genuine follower of Jesus. The cost has simply not been counted, at least not yet. But here, the call from Jesus is to break free of the complacent crowd, to step into a place of intentional followership. But take note from Jesus here, that sort of faith expression does come with a cost. Now, make no mistake, our salvation comes for free. By grace we are saved. But discipleship that leads to kingdom living comes at a cost in this life, simply because the kingdom way is vastly different to the way of the world. If you've never been challenged about your faith like this before, then let me challenge you now. Consider the strong words of Jesus in this passage and count the cost here and now. If the cost is worth it, and how can it not be? Then take it up and don't look back. One writer states from this passage that Jesus was calling not for spectators, but for recruits. In this passage, there was a crowd following, but only a few of those that came behind him in this sort of deal. There were tag-alongs, spectators, and there were those that threw in their lot with him in commitment, recruits. Another writer said this, Total commitment means that there is no space to squeeze through the doorway into the kingdom if we are cluttered with reservations and provisos, with ifs and buts. There was a great sense of urgency in what Jesus is calling for here, because his time on earth was suddenly real short. His call to discipleship, his way, is getting tougher and clearer as we go deeper into our reading as a result. Friend, at the end of this time together, your faith will be expressed one of two ways revolutionized, intimate, sold-out followership, or just one other crowd, nominal, interested in Jesus, but uninvested. It is my deep prayer that you find the first option to be the most compelling one. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Also, be sure to put up a rating and even a comment if your platform allows for it, as this will help others know what to expect. I look forward to catching up next time.